This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. H-1B cap lottery is fast approaching. Today, we'll discuss travel recommendations for a COVID environment, last chance and alternative options to the cap, and general FAQs for this coming season. Joining me today to walk us along the process is Erickson Immigration Group's managing attorney, Nyanka Regar, here to share the do's, don'ts, and burning questions. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us, Beyond Borders. Hello, Naka. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. So uh, today is based on uh, H-1B cap lottery and some frequently asked questions. Um, We just want to get into the minds of uh, business immigration practitioners and what they're considering uh, during this time. This COVID environment now, I'm sure a lot of clients are asking about travel and uh, is that recommended or not or how should one go about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think that is one of the most common questions these days is, am I able to travel? Like, what does that look like this year with COVID and how might that impact my ability to proceed with an H-1B cap application? So a couple things there is it will honestly depend on the employee's visa status. So whether or not they have a visa currently is also going to play a big factor as to whether or not we would discourage strongly uh, travel or mm-hmm. not. I would say that as a whole, um, as a stance, we're taking non-essential travel. It's best not to engage in that just as, you know, business practice because, um, you know, we've just seen so many fluctuations in terms of like the restrictions with entering different countries, new proclamations uh, being disseminated at at moment's notice and kind of being effective immediately and not giving us much time to pivot or to alter our guidance. Um, We've also seen, you know, increasing delays with consulates all across the world. So that also has a big impact on the ability of certain individuals to re-enter the U.S. And one of the main things is, you know, sometimes individuals will go ahead and travel and not let us know or not let their companies know. And then they're stuck outside of the U.S. where perhaps the company doesn't have infrastructure there for them to continue working. They don't have an office. So then it kind of complicates um, everything. So I would say with the That's H-1B a big no-no, cap, by, by um, the way. <laughs> definitely notify yeah. <laughs> your, yes. your attorney yes, definitely. or I- your job. That you're traveling. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you if if you're doing anything with right. booking the ticket, you essentially want to make sure like you're following that with an email to the attorney, um, or probably like doing the reverse and doing the uh, email of the attorney to the attorney and the company first. You know, there's like tax implications, which you know obviously we're not experts in, so I'm not going to go into detail. But there are going to be tax implications not only for the company but also for the individual that also need to be considered. Um, So yeah, like I think traveling is definitely um, a topic that is on everyone's mind. I'm sure like, you know, people have been away from their families for such a long time. So they definitely want to visit and, you know, reconnect with people. But I would say that it's something that we're just really not comfortable just green lighting at the moment. Um, And then with the added layer of cap, I would say that, you know, it, it really just depends. But for the H-1B right now, there's the travel restriction that was extended, or not, not the travel restriction, but the visa restriction that was extended mm-hmm. by the Trump administration 
right before leaving office. So with that, you know, it's meant to expire on March 31st. However, there's still a lot of discussion or kind of thought in terms of like, is the current Biden administration, are they going to extend that because it's like a health risk or are they going to narrow the scope of that restriction? So there's a lot that is still up in the air in order for us to really give that confident green light for travel. In terms of like our listeners and, you know, people that are kind of considering um, travel, I would just say, you know, it's the best thing to do at the moment is just communicate with the legal practitioners that you're working with and your company to make sure that you're making the most informed decision. And and with that, while employees are going through uh, the H-1B cap mm-hmm. process, um, that's not the only avenue, right? There's also alternatives um, when you're looking at a global mobility. And uh, could you share some of those uh, of the various different yeah. avenues that they can take outside of that? Yeah, so one of the main things with the H-1B cap is that if the person doesn't get selected, a lot of times the employer is left, you know, to kind of figure out like what other alternative uh, work authorization is available for this individual in order to keep them as a talent or retain the talent, essentially. Um, It will vary, you know, in terms of like strategies for that, it will vary based off of the size of the company, like what infrastructure they have in the U.S., what infrastructure they have like outside of the U.S. So it will greatly vary. I would say that, you know, for um, companies that do have offices outside of the U.S., a lot of times, you know, they do look to relocation for short term assignments or, you know, like a year assignment where they can then port the person back on an intra-company transfer visa after one year. So that is like also an avenue to look into. And then, of course, you know, like take a look at any potential avenues within the U.S. Like maybe the person is married to someone that does have a route to another work authorization. So we also look at those as well. You know, with the global piece, with um, you look looking at outside U.S. options, that has also been complicated with um, mm-hmm. just processing times increasing and different countries, you know, having more different travel restrictions, like for instance, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And then like Australia and Canada, they have really strict um, entry requirements in terms of like quarantining and like what you can and cannot do when you enter quarantining plans. So those have also kind of been um, a little bit difficult to navigate around and kind of figure out like a best strategy for cases where, you know, if the person does not get selected this year, like what's going to happen? Because we obviously want to make sure the company is able to retain those talents, especially when like someone has been performing well and the company really likes that employee wants to keep the talent. Right. So in your experience, um, do you have any countries that come to mind that are uh, more friendly with when it comes to travel <laughs> and travel requirements? Um, I would say that currently the countries, the two countries that we've been kind of looking at a little bit more just because they're processing times have been somewhat more consistent than others, even throughout COVID are Ireland and um, uh, the UK. So those are the mm-hmm. two countries that we've um, kind of been advising a lot on uh, to our, with our clients, provided, of course, that they have offices in those countries um, as, you know, like the the processing times are a little bit more sh- like shorter than some other countries. You know, in terms of like Canada, like I believe like right now the processing times is like around four to six months. So 
it really just depends on also like when we're strategizing and if we're able to plan ahead that could potentially be an option it's just like the matter of like starting the conversation early with the immigration practitioner and the global mobility team to kind of put a plan in place which is something that we do really well here at EIG you know like as a firm as a whole we always try to do these like last chance analysis we call them um probably like in the year before so to you know we started doing those like in December of 2020 trying to like identify who's in their last chance for the cap and then trying to set up like a plan with the company in terms of like options within the US and then if those don't work out like what's going to happen in terms of like uh, global options as well so yeah mm -hmm. so um to give I guess a uh, employee a, a better sense of um, how they can be best prepared mm -hmm. when they come to you <laughs> what should they have <laughs> prepared and ready so you can do the best job that you can and and, and help them yeah i would say that you know at, with the new pre-registration program that started last year um, by uscis um, the cap lottery has somewhat become a little bit more um easy on immigration practitioners, um, meaning lawyers, <laughs> um, where we don't have to like, you know, stay uh, kind of pushing these petitions, uh, trying to get them through by April 1. Right now, like we have like some time and we can also like, you know, just prepare like the six data points that they require us to provide for pre-registration, which is essentially biographic information for the um, candidates. So it would be like name and date of birth, passport number, like whether or not they have a US uh, master's degree, birth, birth country and citizenship country. So it's a pretty straightforward process. I would say, you know, like usually like copy of the bio page of your passport and their, your degree is really sufficient for us to do the pre-registration. And then, you know, once you get selected, then that's where we connect with the employee more in terms of like gathering all the necessary documentation that they'll need to provide. Um, if they have dependents, that's when we add those as well. Uh, so I would say it's a pretty straightforward process um, for the first part. The heavy lifting kind of comes in um, later down the line. If anyone is like interested, I would say like now is the time to reach out and provide your information. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess may, maybe more on, on a basic level, is there a minimum mm -hmm. salary for a job in H-1B status that, that's needed? That, yeah, that's a very good question, actually. So there you may have heard that there were some talks about, you know, a level based uh, H-1B process where they would essentially um, utilize the SOC code and the, which is an occupation title and the leveling. There's like four different levels that the Department of Labor uses and essentially use that in terms of determining who gets H-1B uh, or not. So that rule was actually pushed back in terms of like timeline and they're going to revisit that later this year. So that is not going to apply for this cap lottery season um, for fiscal year 2022 that we're entering now. Um, but in terms of like minimum salary, so I think like the rule of thumb is to to the extent possible, stay away with two, from like level one because USCIS has always like scrutinized those um, a little bit more heavily. I would say that unless a role is really, really an entry level position and we're able to really demonstrate and kind of 
show that you know this type of role is filled by people in that entry level we would kind of stay away from a level one wage but in terms of like salary um, minimum it's very it's going to vary greatly based on like geographic location as well as the uh, occupation title that we're filing for so there's not a set number per se or like a magic number if you will okay and let's say i'm outside of the u.s currently can i still obtain mm -hmm. a h1b yeah, that's a good question. Um, yes, so we can still file pre-registration for individuals that are outside of the US. Um, that doesn't preclude them from participating in the H-1B cap. Even um, if they do get selected, we can still file the um, application. However, one of the things which is that kind of like brings us back to like what we were discussing earlier about the travel restrictions. If you are outside of the US, you have to file the H-1B as a consular process case, which means that there's an additional action item in, in order to activate that H-1B, which is going to be uh, applying for a visa stamp at a consular abroad. And obviously, you know, with consulars being like just over flooded with requests and also like limited services at the moment, there's just, we are anticipating a really, really big backlog in terms of like ability of individuals to um, set up appointments. So, you know, it, it's possible. It's just like when the person is going to actually be able to activate that H1B is going to be a, a little bit more um, difficult to ascertain. When is the best time to submit to H1B application to USCIS? Um, what do you usually recommend? Yeah, so they actually just published a um, schedule for this year's pre-registration. So the pre-registration window will be opening on March 9th at 12 p.m. Eastern and will be closing on March 25th at 12 p.m. Eastern. So that's essentially that period of time that individuals have to enter themselves into the lottery or well, the employer to enter an employee into the lottery. And then USCIS has confirmed that they hope to have the uh, decisions of the lottery results by April 1. So if we do get those by April 1, then that's when you essentially file the petition. And typically based off of last year numbers and, and process, we essentially get 90 days to file that petition after selection. So yeah, so Got now it. is the time to kind of get started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get all your affairs in order. This is the time. Yes. <laughs> This is much Reach appreciated. <laughs> Immigration practitioner such as yourself, uh, who's very knowledgeable, insightful. Uh, I think it will be smooth sailing. So, oh, well, thank uh, you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you for answering this uh, quick H-1B cap lottery FAQs. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm sure as the process continues, it will be a continuation and to answer more questions, but I think this would be very helpful for our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Ian, so much for having me today. Thank you to Lee Researcher, Con Branch, assistant producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.